entire face football season is complete. That's Hayden Winks, John Daigle. I am Josh Norris. Before we get started going through game by game, player by player, moment through moment, just want to say that getting tweets, messages, all that stuff from all of you, whether you won like a $50 league, $5,000, $50,000, um, we heard all three of us from many of you that mm -hmm. this show and all the other content that we produce was a major part of getting you there. Uh, started in the summer, goes all the way through the season. And for that, guys, uh, personally, I just wanted to say thank you all for supporting us, allowing us to do this. Yep. And you're welcome. What about you guys? <laughs> it is still very much a skill game, as well as our friends from around the industry, too. Eric Beinfor with a number nine finish overall in BBM. Pat Corain was competing to try to take down another handful of millions. And even Justin Hurts had crept in, I believe, with a top 25 finish. So, mm -hmm. again, it still takes all the work in the offseason to get there to be at this point. Congrats and then, and then the three million dollar best ball mania winner. He goes out and thanks uh, the Swole cast for for getting it done <laughs> in soccer, uh, soccer Dave and everybody. So yeah, I love I love the community of best ball. On totally. uh, yeah. I know we all argue about little things and stuff, but uh, like you said, Josh on Twitter today, I completely agree with it. So many ways to win best ball at this point. We had different types of zero RB teams win it this year. We had early round quarterbacks. Maybe next year it's early round tight ends. It'll bounce back and forth, and I can't wait to get into all that stuff later on. Yeah, obviously we cover best ball. We definitely try to gear our content for you in your home leagues as well that we've heard of all different types of scoring systems. So, you know, through all the ranking shows, through all the instant reactions, through all the stats versus film, hopefully we've, like, helped you change the way you think about fantasy football mm -hmm. in certain ways rather than just numbers and rankings, and that's it. Okay, with that said, let's go through, I don't know, feels like two dozen games in week 17 and we kick things off dolphins versus ravens i mean a casual 56 burger that the baltimore ravens put on the miami dolphins 56 to 19 the ravens right now lock up the number one seed in the afc and are just a true juggernaut on both sides of the ball um it actually started off in a way that you would anticipate it being a back and forth affair and just you know, a light show, as you saw the Dolphins take a seven, nothing lead with a Cedric Wilson touchdown with, you know, Devon Achan, who had to step into the starting role, having 36 yards on that opening drive, the Ravens tied up with a wheel route to justice Hill, that matchup that Todd Monken had with him against Duke Riley popped up throughout the entire contest. And really from there, after the Dolphins on their very next drive, basically were forced to settle for a field goal after a Tyreek Hill drop touchdown, which was very unlike him. The Ravens dominated from there, and it was very apparent that on the defensive side of the ball, guys like Roquan Smith, they were even missing Marlon Humphrey and obviously their star second-year safety in Kyle Hamilton. They still had a great game plan on that side of the ball. And then offensively, Todd Munkin, how he was able to force things open to Isaiah Likely down the field. You even had players like Patrick Card make plays. I already mentioned Justice Hill, where Shot Bateman pops up there, and obviously the 75-yard touchdown to Zay Flowers, which was very Dolphins-esque in terms of speed motion, confusing the defense, leaving him wide open on a wheel route or a rail route uh, along the sideline. This is just everything hitting at the appropriate time, even on the road, and Hayden Toomey sets it up with the Ravens as the team to beat in the NFL. They have officially clinched the first round by Lamar Jackson has basically clinched the MVP rightfully. So after dominating in EPA 
in this one. The Ravens don't have the same level superstars, like true superstars, aside from Lamar Jackson, but their tier two players go absolutely deep on both sides of the ball. The scheme is so diverse on both sides of the ball. Obviously, Mike McDaniel can throw change-ups the entire game and fastballs. And then this offense, they can run it down your throat, and then they can do all of the fancy stuff, the new era stuff that we've been waiting for with Lamar Jackson. So completely dominant finish in this one as well. They are the best team in the AFC, very complimentary. And it was just so cool to see Lamar Jackson get there through the air. What's so funny is uh, there's always this like uh, kind of headline, the dual threat quarterbacks win you fantasy football championships. He had 36 rushing yards in this one. Right. He won it because he had five passing touchdowns. Uh, and I love that they just went all the way in, uh, in, even into the fourth quarter. Very clearly a quarterback going 16 of 19 for 14 yards per attempt and four touchdowns from a clean pocket Ooh. in this one. He lacked the counting stats for the MVP award, it's usually given to a quarterback who has the most wins, right? Every single year. And we know he's been playing amazing all season, yep. but he lacked the stats because the defense has been so dominant. But this was such a statement game. This was truly the MVP game. It really was. And how we're all working around this topic of, hey, he's mobile, but he does quarterback stuff. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. I've always deemed him and many of these other young ascending players as pocket passer pluses, you know? And the way that he was able to do that, I'm like that Isaiah Likely touchdown, for example, that was, what, 36 yards off platform, mm -hmm. stepping up, just standing on his left foot. And then it was a one-handed catch by Likely, but still just the zip and the torque that he's able to put on that pass, truly amazing. Um, Todd Monken masterclass. Yep. I mean, we've talked about Mike McDonald on that side of the ball all season, that this and the Browns defense going back and forth, you know, for 17 games as the best defense in the league. Todd Monken has, has finally hit it. And Guys, this is without Mark Andrews, you know, who maybe returns at some point in the playoffs. This is without Keaton Mitchell, who's truly one of the more explosive running backs that we've seen this season. And it's just the way that they could scheme things open and with Lamar Jackson in total command. And let's not forget that this, this defense of the Miami Dolphins since week six has mm -hmm. been, if not the best, one of the best defenses in the league. And they totally torched them. I think what it is with Lamar Jackson, it's not the counting stats. It's when guys like Justice Hill pop out, when Odell yeah. Beckham has resurgences, we see Isaiah Likely after the catch and stuff. All of this stuff is because what Lamar Jackson could do in large part. That Dolphins defense, though, took a huge hit. And this is one of the things that really tilts me is when it's a complete blowout. I believe it was 49 to 19. Three Bradley minutes Tubb, ago. Yeah, running out towards the sideline, non-contact. It's officially a torn ACL. That's our two best pass rushers. And aside from Jalen Ramsey, they're two best players on defense. It's hard to win the playoffs. You can't rush the passer. Obviously, Vic Fangio, Jalen Ramsey gives them a starting point on defense. But that's a huge deal with everything on the line against the Bills next week. And it was just really sad to see in basically meaning, meaningless minutes. We know who Bradley Chubb is right now. Why are they out there down four or five touchdowns at that point? So I, w I really wish teams would pull their starters or key players early when these games clearly uh, meaningless at that point uh, because they have a huge one next week. You mentioned the Dolphins defense being arguably the best unit since Jalen Ramsey returned, Josh. That includes in that time frame since week eight being third in pressure rate created. But now Chubb, Phillips, even Xavier Howard was banged mm -hmm. up in this game too. Left it seems heart. like they're just losing all the wrong pieces at the absolute wrong time because I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let's say right now they're drawing the Texans, right? If CJ Stroud comes in. 
Uh, let's say then you can't create pressure on Stroud yeah. and the Texans have this identity and being able to stop explosive runs. How are you going to match that? That suddenly becomes a coin flip game instead of the Dolphins being the better team. So I'm worried, honestly. Just a few counting stats here. Uh, again, Devon Achan probably was not expecting to be thrust into a lead back role here. He occupies 18 touches for 137 yards and if this game was closer, he probably would have had far more in the second half. I mean, he was averaging just an explosive rate in the first half. Every time he touched the ball, he was moving at a different speed. Um, and for the Ravens, and I don't want to tie in the Detroit Lions. I am for a moment here. But, you know, so much of the focus of team building is on why pay these linebackers, right? Why draft linebackers high? Well, we have seen, like with the San Francisco 49ers, for example, a team that offensively loves to threaten the middle of the field, having someone like Fred Warner allows them to play defense better in that area. Roquan Smith, his interception against Tua today, uh, yeah. a one-handed one, was just simply fantastic. And then obviously the Lions, he's only a rookie, but like spinning a first-round pick on Jack Campbell and then even spinning it to the Ravens' offensive side, Tyler Linderbaum at center and taking that as a first-round selection. Like These teams kind of know who they are. They know where they thrive. They know how they want to play offense and defense and attaching high draft capital or high contracts to those uh, places when the elite talents match up to me just makes sense. And how we just can't say every team should be built in the same exact way. Mm -hmm. And no Jalen Waddle in this one, this yep. Ravens defense didn't have Kyle Hamilton, Marlon Humphrey exited mid game, and yet they still dominated on that side of the ball. Yeah. And real quick with Tyreek Hill, he was like hobbling the entire game as well. It seems like that ankle injury is lingering a little bit too. So it doesn't sound like we're going to get Waddle next week either. They hope that he's going to be back for the playoffs, which could end up being uh, there. It will be in that wild card round at, at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of these players missing from Miami. So I thought this team had like Super Bowl aspirations just a couple weeks ago, but we're, we've now chopped off like three of their top five players. Yeah. I mean, losing Jalen Phillips and now Bradley Chubb is Jeez. extremely significant. Okay. We've been super optimistic. Can I veer in the direction of just asking a question here about the Baltimore Ravens? Cause really the last time they were a juggernaut on both sides of the ball, the last time that Lamar Jackson won MVP, the last time they had the number one overall seed, they sat players, then they had the bye week and they came out in an absolute stinker against the Tennessee Titans in the second round and lose a shocking loss. Um, I wonder how this team approaches week 18. Obviously they can't do anything about the buy in the first round, but I do wonder if that just a few years ago is going to impact how they handle these next two weeks. They have a lot of injuries on their side right now. So I wonder if oh. they, yeah, I, I would personally rest them, but we'll see what they do. Patriots versus bills. I mean, just looking at this 27, 21, the Bills win a must-win situation, uh, despite giving up an opening kickoff touchdown. I will say a 15 of 30, 169 performance from Josh Allen, who was yes. being mentioned heading into this week with Lamar Jackson. Um, mm -hmm. A Bill Belichick defense has been fantastic. But Hayden, talk me through this because the Bills have been on such a high for so long. This is a bit of a speed bump despite the W. This was definitely an offensive speed bump, and the turnovers that uh, Bailey Zappi had were, I think, on Bailey Zappi. There was a forced throw into zone coverage. Ball was deflected for an interception. There was He stared down a slant route for an interception, then a blitz uh, miscommunication for another slant uh, INT. That one went to the house. Uh, we had the Jalen Rager opening kickoff. 
But if that didn't happen, the Bills would have ran away with this. But that offense is still a little bit stuck in the mud. There's still a rotation everywhere because of the field position. Josh Allen had not one, but his second tush-push touchdown. That's something that's kind of new to the Bills offense. He had this awesome triple option keep where he threw the ball out into the flats uh, once like there was a big guy draped around him. But there were two careless interceptions. The first one, not so bad. First and 16, go ball interception way down the field, which is is a lot of his interceptions just like throwing it way downfield. But the other one was third and five. He was scrambling for a first down, reaches out for it, and by that time gets the ball uh, fumbled away. So it was not a clean performance. They got Kincaid open on a seam pass down the middle. That was huge. Uh, James Cook was not as explosive in this one, had a drop screen pass out there. Steph Diggs, not a full-time player, also not showing up in the box score all that much. The Patriots were just so bad offensively for the most part, uh, that they end up squeaking this one in. And now they have a huge game against the Dolphins. The winner of that one will win the division. The Bills still could miss the playoffs if they lose that one. Some other things break against them. But right now, the last part of the game, Josh Allen did leave with a little bit of injury. So we'll see. Same thing with Tua in the other game as well, how serious those two injuries are. Assuming they're at full health, I still like the Bills' chances. But this is a very inconsistent offense at this point. Everyone is drafting for playoff best ball this time of year and the natural stacking partner with Josh Allen is Stefan Diggs. The issue is that Stefan Diggs has finished inside the top 44 wide receivers one time in his last seven games. I can't even explain it, but he's clearly disappeared from the offense so much that they even gave him a carry inside the five-yard line over James Cook in this game just to try to have more purposeful touches involved in his repertoire. So We'll, we'll go on. We'll see what happens. But right now, I don't know how you have any trust in him. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And as we have talked about with Joe Brady and the offensive change that Hayden in this game, you get 37 carries, albeit 11 of those come from Josh Allen mm-hmm. to just 15 completions. And obviously it was 30 passing attempts. But when things aren't going perfectly, and I think we can say that about the passing game right now, it is not going perfectly. You just lean into the running game. The reason I wanted to bring up this game second, not because it's the second best game of the weekend, but because of the implications that this does give us in week 18. The Bills play the Miami Dolphins. It is on the road in Miami. If the Bills win that game, they win the division. And that is a massive turnaround since what we saw from them, I don't know, eight weeks ago. However, As Hayden, you said, if they lose, they could go all the way out of the playoffs if Jacksonville wins and if the Pittsburgh Steelers win. And so there are other permutations that are in between those. But what a wild way to approach week 18 from, hey, we can win and have a home playoff game or we could potentially be out depending on how the other games unfold too. And it seems like that's going to be the last game of the regular season, assuming the Dolphins Bills gets flexed into that spot real quick on the Patriots, uh, Zeke Elliott had a really physical run for a touchdown, also had one of the best pass pro reps I've seen all season long. Uh, there was fumbles after the catch on this one. There were missed kicks for New England. Very sloppy game from them entirely. Now they sit with the third overall pick. Yep. The Washington Commanders now have the second overall pick. Obviously, they're, as of right now, there's a kind of one-two at the quarterback spot. Then it's going to be wide receivers like Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe we get the LSU quarterback in there as well. But right now, the Commanders, I believe, play somebody really good next week. They're probably going to be stuck at third or fourth overall. So uh, the Drake May, Caleb Williams type of draft picks are probably out of the window at this point. 
Lions versus Cowboys. Cowboys 20, Lions 19. Both teams now 11 and 5. Um, there were plenty of amazing moments in this game. I mean, serious big plays. Dak avoiding that Barnes would be safety, hitting CeeDee Lamb for the long touchdown, the Melifonwu interception, the fake punt by Detroit that they converted, Cowboys stopping the lines again for fourth and goal. Aiden Hutchinson popped up here for three sacks, a huge Jamison Williams catch that we haven't had many of those this year, a Farhash dot to Brandon Cooks. We got that Wilson interception for the Dallas Cowboys. Whoever you watch games every single week, if you're a fan of one or the other, like there are bad calls to be made. Um, but to me, John Daigle, this game felt like it was on a totally different level. Like it was very similar to me of the Saints playoff loss against the Rams five plus years ago, where you just walk off, you turn the t television off and you think that one isolated moment changed the complexity of the game and really how the rest of the season could unfold here because obviously the Lions could have been playing for even more if they had won this game. It shifted the entire result, one secular screw up and just truly hate when that happens. Everyone got there, though, exactly how we thought they would with Dave Montgomery even having a successful day on the ground of uh, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott having no pushback whatsoever, moving the ball with ease through the air. Uh, the Lions were always going to stop Tony Pollard anyhow. So we knew that he could not get there in this game. But overall, that's what I look at. Is this is this Cowboys offense heading into the playoffs? Same thing for the Lions defense, because right now the way it matches up with the implications, as you mentioned, because of this game, really seems like we're headed towards a Lions-Rams first-round game. And if that's the case, who's stopping who? Like, I dare you to fall short of 80 points in that game because no one can mess with those offenses, at least we know right now. For fantasy, this was a game where the round one-two wrap, it was Amon Ross St. Brown and C.D. Lamb, yep. and those were the $3 million, the $1 million winners, uh, paired those guys up with Kyron Williams in the last round, and all of a sudden you have a recipe for zero RB teams to completely win this game. Yeah, that Dak Prescott play was amazing to absorb that thing. And then obviously it's really tragic at the end. Um, but the, the Lions have some problems through the air, certainly. And that is concerning against Matthew Stafford potentially down the road. But at the same time, I do think that this Lions team can win in multiple ways as long as Jared Goff isn't being under pressured a lot in this one. Obviously, the Micah Parsons coming through uh, spooked him at, at, at least early in the game. Yeah. Um this both these teams are just so much fun. Like we've talked about the Cowboys and how they create explosive plays and how Dak Prescott, you know, leads the NFL and big time throws. Talked about the lines and, you know, Ben Johnson's designs. And at times they worked, and that was mostly later on in the game. Early on, it was a bit dicey with all that. But like again, Sam Laporta pops up huge towards the end with 12 targets, seven receptions, 84 yards. Cannot wait to see where people end up drafting him ahead of next year's fantasy football leagues. We know that Dave Montgomery is coming back in this backfield, has some guaranteed money heading into 2024 and pairing that with Jameer Gibbs, again, the best running back backfield in the league. Um, anything you guys want to say about the end uh, since I kind of stole the mic at the front? I don't really have much to say. It was, it was tragic that it went that way. I, if I was Dan Campbell, I would be mad at the rest because he kind of explained what was going on here. The players have at fault because it was not the easiest communicated play as well. But 
There was also big plays like the C.D. Lamb play at the end. That could have been a huge thing that already broke their way earlier in this game as well. So all the stuff uh, evens out in the end. And really, like, it would have been nice for the Lions to beat the Cowboys on the road here, certainly. But uh, they're kind of locked into that that three spot anyway. So uh, it'll be fine for them. Sam Laporta was also reportedly dealing with an injury at the end of the game. Dan Campbell has already said he's going to play starters in week 18, but I can't imagine we see many of them run mm. too deep into that contest since it's meaningless. Yeah. Dan Campbell said that he also uh, handed the entire play over to the officials and showed them what it would look like. And uh, they still got it wrong. Okay. Yeah. We continue on in the NFC with a team that we thought was destined for glory and uh, they continue to struggle. Hey, do you ever check your statement at the end of the month from your credit card bank account and see just subscriptions randomly there that you either forgot to cancel, want to cancel, don't know how to cancel? I've been there. It stinks. It's this ridiculous process. And that is where Rocket Money comes in. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. Sounds incredible, huh? I mean, over 80% of people have subscriptions. And you and them can stop paying for the ones that you don't want. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's like finding an extra 20 or 40 bucks underneath your couch cushion to start the new year. So, Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash underdog. That's rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Cardinals versus Eagles. I mean, Dago, how'd this happen? Cardinals, 4-12 and 12 in the season, 35 points. Philadelphia Eagles, 31 points. To me, it's not a shock that the Eagles could put 31 points on the Cardinals, mm -hmm. but for their defense to stoop to this level, to not be able to prevent points in the second half to the tune of 29 second half points by the Arizona Cardinals while at home, this is the biggest alarm bells that we have seen so far in the last two seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles. We've had many discussions on this show about Philadelphia's defense and just the fact that they've played quite literally the most defensive backs of any team in the league because they're dealing with so many injuries. And that's why they allow big plays despite having the labels on that side of the ball. The problem now, including this game in the last month, is that they're also giving it to anyone on the ground. That includes Ken Walker, who rushed for 86 and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley a couple weeks ago went for 80 and a touchdown. And now James Conner rattles off his fourth consecutive top 12 performance for fantasy with ease in this game. The Cardinals are down 21 to 6 to the half. Then they came out and scored touchdowns on all four of their possessions in the last two quarters. There were some coaching blunders, some penalties that gave the Eagles a first and 20 on their last drive. Nick Sirianni had used up all of his timeouts. But really, the moral of the story is the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are playing absolutely miserable defense. Not only that, but they lose DeAndre Devonta Smith in this game with his what being reported as a mid-ankle sprain. Yep. And... The rest of the offense is gone. That's the issue. Whereas we'll talk about the Rams in a bit. The Rams are gaining pieces to an explosive offense moving into the playoffs. Whereas the Eagles, if they don't have Smith, DeAndre Swift's passing usage has gone completely away. He has 17 total receiving yards in his last six games. And that's why you're suddenly seeing Julio Jones being used in the red zone. And while that's cute, 
That's cool that you're getting Julio Jones involved. It's not good when he's the most important player on your offense. So they are going to get the Eagles at the end of the day, the participation trophy opponent and the Bucks or Saints. It's going to be just fine in the first round. But can this team, can this mold compete in deep in the playoffs? I don't think so right now. Yeah, they need in order to win the division, they need the Cowboys to lose to the Commanders, which basically not going to happen. So it will be Bucks or the other winner versus them in the playoffs. But yeah, the the ground defense has to be better. I mean, that was at, that was like the automatic thing that we were assuming with the team. You'll have explosive plays for the air, and then at least your defense will be good up front. They've lost that now. I mean, James Conner was incredible. Yep. Reminder, that's first in yards after contact, James Conner. Also in this one, Kyler Murray scrambling, finding time, and then James mm-hmm. Conner one-handed grabs in the end zone, James Conner. Uh, put some respect on James Conner. He's been a hell of a fantasy asset at the end of the season. A lot of tough matchups, including this one, and just paved the way. Yeah, you've been hammering the bell of James Conner all season long, despite, again, the Cardinals prior to this game only having three wins. And to be honest, I had been waiting for a Kyler Murray performance like this. Obviously, Great. we had been talking about how uh, he missed training camp, had missed so much practice time. We were basically finally hitting when he was going to like have his true week one, Mm -hmm. but things were out of sorts. You know, I don't think he had put together a pure passing two quarters prior to this. And then in this one, 25 of 31, 232 yards, three touchdowns uh, adds another five carries for 24 yards on the ground. No Marquise Brown. No Marquise Brown. I mean, he's throwing up my guy, Greg Dortch towards the end. Once again, I mean, some guy has a, some team has to pay Dorchy at the end of this off season. There's um, a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that we're unaware of, which is why these players don't get more playing time. But right. anytime Dorch gets snaps, he balls, he earns. It's, it's, it's so true. And really what Kyler has done is we know he had played this team's way out of having a top two overall pick. Yep. And now for what it is, they're playing themselves out of the Marvin Harrison Jr. sweepstakes. No, they're 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 playing too well at this moment. But I mean, truthfully, shout out to Jonathan Gannon, who obviously came from the Philadelphia Eagles. In fact, the Eagles got a draft pick from the Cardinals because of tampering. Let's yep. not forget that. And then motivates them on the road to put up 35 points on the defending NFC champions. Um, pretty cool stuff. The good news, even if they do lose out on Marvin Harrison, who seems like to be a generational wide receiver prospect, all the mock drafts I look at, the top 10 picks are all offensive players. There's Malik Neighbors. There's other wide receivers in there. Brock Bowers, a tight end in there. Obviously, they have Trey McBride there. But they're going to get Kyler Murray back on this team. We'll see if they if they want to keep Marquise Brown, who's been a really injured season for him. He is a free agent. The franchise take, tag is available. But Kyler Murray, Trey McBride, James Conner, and then add another wide receiver into this mix. I think that this offense uh, has enough fight going into next year to feel at least like they're a wild card potential team. And add Trey McBride to the Sam Laporta pool of players we have to decipher between this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we we told everyone that they were drafting tight ends incorrectly back in May and June, and it was the year of the late round tight end. It absolutely was. Um, Now you and I are probably going to have to change our tune. (laughs) That must be the year of the early-ish round tight end because these young studs are changing the landscape versus the old guard that is kind of passing the torch down. I did my way too early 2024 rough draft rankings, and I had Laporta and McBride kind of back-to-back in like the 40th overall range, and we're getting youth at the position now, which has been a while. Final note. The Eagles have pulled every single lever on defense imaginable mm-hmm. this season. 
you know, <laughs> moving from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia, making the trade for Kevin Byard, uh, signing Shaquille Leonard. They've literally tried everything. They just got back Avante Maddox or Will very soon. Um, part of me, like my radar is up a little bit on, they draft all these Georgia players and it's great. I mean, Georgia freak athletes and all this stuff. But even at Georgia, those guys were playing like half snaps, 50% of snaps or less. And we're kind of getting that every single week with Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. And obviously Nolan Smith is kind of flipping positions between edge and linebacker. So they have so much talent in those spots, but it's obviously not kind of gelling in the way with how much they've invested that they probably anticipated it with being like the unit that could mask deficiencies at other levels of the field. And keep in mind, they the Cardinals won this game and the Eagles had a 99-yard interception return to the house right. like that is a 14 point swing so really bad right now saints versus buccaneers go from one shocking performance in the philadelphia eagles to another shocking performance by the tampa bay buccaneers could have locked up the nfc south on sunday and said hayden they fall to eight and eight losing to the saints 23 to 13 this is very uncharacteristic from a team that we have kind of grown fondly of in certain areas the good news is next week they just have to beat the panthers and they still win the division they had to win either this game or next week's game they were really flat i thought the crowd was going absolutely nuts at home for tampa bay but they were just stuck in the mud chris Godwin didn't have his first catch until the second half mike evans had a couple explosive plays but nothing too crazy we had Rashad White fumble the ball when he was going out of bounds uh later in the game Baker Mayfield drops back to pass throws a huge pass down to Trey Palmer who catches it potentially has a, ch a chance to run all the way into the end zone instead he fumbles it goes over to the Saints here so the offense was sloppy they were still explosive you can see how they got here throughout this entire season but they had were just a couple too many turnovers, and obviously early in the game, just things were not clicking. Uh, this was a game where the Saints jumped out to a huge lead early, so Derek Carr became more of the game manager type of player in this one. Olave, nothing really too crazy stuck out to me. Instead, it was Juwan Johnson out of nowhere who just came up over and over and over again. Whenever they needed to play on third down, they would either get into the flats, they would get down to the seam. This guy's really good, in my opinion. Here's a whip route touchdown as well. He didn't get the volume that we wanted this year because nope. they were too busy getting the ball to Taysom Hill, to <laughs> Jimmy Graham, and Foster Moreau. But look at that play right there. I mean, this guy is the kind of difference maker in this game. So um, Taysom Hill, he has a back shoulder fade touchdown in this one, I think, for, for the Saints. Uh, it sounds like they could miss Alvin Kamara. He left around halftime in this one with an ankle injury. It was a fullback in pass protection. It was Jamal Williams in the screen game as well. The Saints were really balanced across the board. And really when they needed to play, the MVP of this game was Juwan Johnson. And if you are drafting battle Royals for week 18, remember we have seen the Saints offense without Alvin Kamara and Kendry Miller in week one. And Jamal Williams handled 95% of backfield mm -hmm. touches in that one. Yeah, just to put the playoff scenarios into focus, as you said, Hayden, um, the Bucks are at the Panthers. If you win, you get the NFC South. If they lose, then the game between the Saints and the Atlanta Falcons yep. is for that NFC South crown. However, even if the Bucks do win next week, the Saints can be in the playoffs if Seattle loses and the Packers also lose. But obviously, they have to get some help in order to do that. I'm with you on Jawan Johnson. I mean, we love Nick Underhill. We we love how he incorporates 
um, fantasy aspects into his reporting in terms of usage, in terms of standing out and in what situations and by his account and everyone else's in training camp, Juwan Johnson was totally unguardable. The dude then has one touchdown in the opening 14 weeks of the season. And then these last three weeks, it's uh, three straight touchdowns, including yeah. 90 yards on 12 targets in this past game. So it's to me something to think about for a player who is 27 now will be 28 heading into next year, who I think also just signed like a two or three year deal yeah. heading into this offseason. Yeah, the problem is Taysom is back. Alvin Kamara is back. And Allen is apparently back, too. That's Apparently, the wildest part. It's crazy. It sounds like Michael Thomas might not be back. There's some some turnover, but they keep committing. They have all these void years, and they have to restructure contracts and keep older and older players around. So this Saints team, with a little bit of fight at the end of the season, will most likely be all back. Uh, Derek Carr also back. He, he played fair, fairly well in this one. More of a game manager, though. Final note. What Chris Godwin is doing towards the end stretch of this season is pretty remarkable after being mm-hmm. so quiet for so long. Um, again, 81, 78, 155 yards over these last three games. He got home because Baker Mayfield late in the game bought some time and threw a deep ball down the sideline to him, which was nice to see where he's not just an underneath player. But that, ha- that happened late in the game. But this Bucks team is still really explosive through the air when they, whenever they have the opportunity to. Bengals versus Chiefs. Whenever the Bengals and Chiefs meet, uh, things get super interesting. In the end, though, Chiefs do win this game 25 to 17. Did not look great for them uh, in the middle parts of this game. But in the opening script, again, I want to emphasize script by Andy Reid. It was one of the best drives we've seen from the Kansas City Chiefs. It's felt like in a dozen weeks. Um, it ended in an Isaiah Pacheco touchdown, which was sweet. They moved four players to one side of the field. Had Rasheed Rice take all the attention inside. Travis Kelsey vertically. Um, then I believe it was Richie James, all the attention to the right, and that created this void in the center. And so rather than Isaiah Pacheco curling out into the flats, which is where many running back routes end up, instead he puts his foot in the dirt and occupies that soft area. Then after that, I mean, the Bengals take a 17-7 lead. Part of that is because the Bengals' defense forces a Patrick Mahomes fumble inside of his own 25-yard line. But after the Bengals do that with, you know, Jake Browning doing his game manager plus stuff where he's able to really use his mobility um, and obviously utilize some yards after catch opportunities that the team has, only one man scored in the final one hour and 53 minutes of this game. And that was Harrison Bucker. (laughs) Six total field goals in the end. If your league stupidly uses kickers and the team in the finals had Harrison Bucker, they probably won it. He was arguably the MVP of the week. Outside of C.D. Lamb. Um, on top of that, though, like it's a give and take to me where obviously the Chiefs couldn't convert these drives. And we talk about four point plays consistently. And this has been a problem for them. Um, many third and mediums. It was Patrick Mahomes checking down to Isaiah Pacheco, mainly because no one was getting open down the field. Once again, Travis Kelsey not having a catch until the second half of this game. But on the opposite end, you can say that, hey, with that Tyreek Hill draft pick, with other money that they've invested, it has been into the defense. And the defense clamps down on a frisky, let's put it that way, Bengals offense for an entire half. And again, it allows them to win in the end and uh, keep their spot at 10 and 6 on the season. That last point was, I think, what stood out. They were able to move the ball for most of the game. I mean, the average six yards per carry, 7.8 yards per pass attempt. 
but they do go three of 12 on third down and third down is the money down when you need your best players to step up and their best offensive player right now is Rasheed Rice. It is not Travis Kelsey. Dago, like what you said, we're drafting for NFL playoffs. Best ball, obviously, you want to have some Chiefs bolts just in case they can't get hot. I don't know why you would be drafting Travis Kelsey over Rasheed Rice. I would rather have Rice straight up. He's a more productive player at this point. Kelsey does not seem like that dude right now. And then the Bengals defense is super explosive, missing too many players, uh, too much turnover this offseason, too many injuries up front. And then Isaiah Pacheco absolutely balled out through the air yep. and down the ground game. Obviously, CH would have done the same. Not only Rasheed Rice over Travis Kelsey, as you slide that little note in, uh, I think Pacheco is actually the better play over Travis Kelsey for playoff best ball yep. too. This is four consecutive games with four targets. I know it's been a while since he was injured, but everyone forgets that in the three games out of their bye before that injury, he had handled at least 20 touches in all three of those games as well. He's genuinely, for better or worse, become an engine of that offense and someone they have to lean on. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there was a period in the first half where he was averaging, let me find it here, uh, 17.6 yards per rush. Yeah. I mean, he also had three for 35 and one at just halftime. Can't, you can't watch the tape. That's the thing. Because, yes, he looks like a cartoon character running the ball. Right. But in comparison, again, that was all at halftime. Again, Travis Kelsey had zero catches. And at the time, Rasheed Rice had one catch for 18 yards. I do want to put this note in Rasheed Rice's column. He does finish, obviously, with a huge day, five for 127. But the 67-yard catch was not his typical drag route, closer to the line of scrimmage and run after the catch. It was his first catch of 20 plus yards air yards this wow. entire season. It was a vertical route. Hmm. So the corner kind of sits on it. He works an inside move, whole shot, boom, catch and run down the field. He does get caught from behind, but that is this kind of evolution that we've talked about with Rasheed Rice because vertically it has really been Justin Watson and that's it. MVS and that's it. Who had another brutal drop on third and three, whatever it was yeah. in this game. So if Rasheed Rice, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but does learn some vertical route running, moving forward, then that makes him easily the primary pass catcher on this team. Yeah, obviously the Chiefs are going to have to add somebody else to the mix. The I have like Rasheed Rice kind of in like 35 to 40 overall range on my initial rankings going into next year. But yeah, that MVS, the brutalist part about that drop is after he drops that pass on like that drag route, he motions to Mahomes like... <laughs> You threw it on the backside of, of my arms. It was incredible that he had the audacity to look at Mahomes after a clear drop. There was also the report before this one that the Chiefs' plan was to get all of their receivers off the bench involved. So just to let everyone know, although the box score does show that they weren't involved, Richie James with nine routes, Justin Ross with three, and McCall Hardman as well with only three. Um, I quickly want to pull up the snap counts on offense and just see if, like, they whittled it down a little bit. Rasheed Rice had 42, MVS 38, Justin Watson 24. Then Richie James still got 12. Justin Ross trots up there for seven. Michael yeah. Hardman pops up there for five. And that's all of 54 snaps in total. Okay. We mentioned with the Miami Dolphins and that Buffalo Bills game. Um, obviously, if the Dolphins win, they still get that two seed. If they lose against the Buffalo Bills, which huge stakes in that game, they drop down to the sixth seed. And that almost certainly would match them head to head on the road with the Kansas City Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs. Titans versus Texans. Must win games all over the place. And we get one here 
with the Houston Texans improving to nine and seven. CJ Stroud returns and a thumping 26 to three victory over the Tennessee Titans. It was just refreshing to see CJ Stroud drop back and just throw the ball downfield. Nico Collins, he had a couple screens for first downs, which I thought was interesting. He obviously had uh, was able to get his feet downfield for big plays. Robert Woods, after the catch, was making some fantastic plays as well. Brevin Jordan, play action, he's found in the flats. This game was over fairly quickly. They were up 20-0 to zero in the second quarter. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Will Levis gets absolutely destroyed by Jerry Hughes for a sack fumble that he ends up on the cart with an ankle or foot injury. Um, so it's unclear if we're going to see Will Levis for the rest of the season. Um, but on offense, they were just completely intact for this game. Nothing too special in the box score. Devin Singletary was the clear back. He had 80 rushing yards. He caught a couple of passes that didn't really go anywhere. Nico Collins is definitely the number one wide receiver, eight targets on 32 attempts for him as well. So this is going to be the foundation. It's a must-win game next week as well. Whoever wins against the Colts and the Texans will be in the playoffs. Um, and I think you have to like the Texans' chances. They had Will Anderson back from injury in this one. Uh, they had a defense tackle appear up as well. Hopefully they can get Grenard back in this because that's kind of the foundation. Got to be able to win with the pass rush. I think Noah Brown's injury is fairly important. I'm hoping he can turn around because it may be asking too much for Robert Woods to keep this going into the postseason mm-hmm. as their second receiver without Tank Dell. But the fact that Stroud came back healthy, a good litmus test for this upcoming game, was obviously the key part of the Texan season. Yeah. I, I think real quick for C.J. Stroud, the offensive rookie of the year debate is very much on fire because Puka Nakua went absolutely crazy and that team is in the playoffs I think if C.J. Stroud misses the playoffs and they lose this game, it could go to Puka. If C.J. Stroud comes up clean and wins, I think that he probably will win this. But that's like another little storyline. Offense rookie year. Great battle between yeah. Stroud and Nakua. Can we can we dive into that for a moment? I mean, you know me. I love my end-of-season awards. But Puka Nakua is, is literally putting up the best rookie season numbers mm-hmm. of all time. And C.J. Stroud had the best rookie game of all time against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has missed some games. His team finishes maybe 10 and seven. Let's yep. put it that way. Who do you think deserves that in that regard? I, I'm going to go Stroud. I just looked, he was number three in like adjusted yards per attempt among rookie quarterbacks since 2000, like only trailing like Dak Prescott. I mean, this team, what was their, their win total going into this year? Five or something like that. They might win 10 of them. It's because of him. Um, and like he's yeah. turned Tank Dell and Nico Collins into like household names and stuff. And like, those weren't, high draft capital guy. So I would go CJ Stroud, assuming he wins this next game and makes the playoffs. If he doesn't, then I think we have a serious debate. It's not just a good to great quarterback. It's literally a quarterback who in his rookie year for a rebuilding franchise has elevated everyone around him. Mm -hmm. We've had the discussions about Bryce Young and everyone else, but the fact is that despite the pieces not being as talented as a Nico Collins take Dell, uh, Stroud made everyone better. I do think Puka's longevity for a career high in touches, even going back to college, is pretty impressive. And the fact that he's just out there every single week getting it done, not only as a wide receiver, but he's a bruiser. Like, he's a fighting wide receiver. And to be out there healthy for every game, it's so impressive. So uh, it's a cop-out. But honestly, like, shouldn't they just be co-rookies of the year? Aren't they both, like, super important? Puka helped carry the passing offense for a full month without Cooper Cup. Mm -hmm. Oh, he totally did. Just a microcosm, I think, of the – coaching job that D'Amico Ryans has done 
again, I love my narrative streets. It's Derrick Henry's performances against the Houston Texans this year. Remember a couple weeks back, it was 20 carries for 10 yards. Mm -hmm. Here he pops up 12 carries for 42 yards when in previous seasons, multiple, he had gone over like 200 rushing yards against this Houston Texans defense. Again, the coaching changes mixed in here with obviously upgrades at other spots. Um, things can change quickly in the NFL in one offseason if you do things correctly. And the Houston Texans are the latest example of that. That's for sure. And coach of the year is my favorite award because it's the, in my opinion, the only one that's done correctly and that they always give it to the individual who does the most with the least. A couple of years ago, remember Mike Vrabel got it over Nick Sirianni. That was the same season that Rich Bisaccia finished third ahead of Zach Taylor, who led the Bengals to the Super Bowl because of what Bisaccia did as an interim coach. Last season, it was Dable as well because of what he did with the Giants to drag him into the postseason over Sirianni. That was the year. And this season, between at least at the top right now, Dan Campbell and Kevin Stefanski, I would think it's Stefanski since Nick Chubb, fourth offensive tackle you're on right now. The corpse of Joe Flacco off the streets is a top 16 quarterback in the league. Corpse. The you can't even the angel of Joe Flacco. <laughs> you can't even count the number of defensive players they've lost. And they've still pieced right. together an historically great defense. So I think it's a fancy. But the point of this game is this is a dark horse coach of the year award because yeah. both of these guys, Steichen and D'Amico, absolutely deserve to be in that conversation, too. Just a quick conversation on the Tennessee Titans, because this is team's going to look totally different next year. Um, obviously, in this game, Will Levis leaves once again with, I believe, an ankle foot injury, Ryan Tannehill steps in. Um, but this team is not going to have DeAndre Hopkins, uh, their leading receiver this year, because I believe he was on a one-year contract. If I'm wrong with that, Hayden. Um, I think he's back. Let me check. Is he back? I thought uh, it was on a one-year deal. He has a $16 million cap hit, $18 million guaranteed in bonuses. So I, I think that he will be oh, back in this For one. some reason, I thought it was the same thing. The Odell. With yeah. one year, the Odell. It's not. Uh, but Derrick Henry is obviously gone from this team. So it'll be fascinating to see who Mike Rabel, who has previously won coach of the year, kind of restructures everything heading into next offseason. Uh, why don't we just, since we already talked about the Texans and kind of this division, go on over to this game. Panthers versus Jaguars. And we can keep this brief because what CJ Beathard did in this game is keep everything afloat. And do just enough on 17 of 24 for the Jacksonville Jaguars to win 26 to nothing. I would say on the back of Travis Etienne, who for a very long time, the people have been asking for where the fantasy points gone. Many people ranked him highly uh, heading into this week. And he goes out there for a 16 carry 102, two touchdown performance on the heels of a 62 yard run where he, let's say bowling balled off four or five woeful Panthers tackles yeah. attempts. Um, that was great to see from ETN because we had not seen that in a long time. On top of that, one of the shocking statistics that crossed my timeline on Sunday was seeing that Evan Ingram had 100 catches for the season, only the eighth tight end yeah. of all time to do that. It certainly hasn't wow. felt like one of those seasons for no. Evan Ingram, but we absolutely got there with it. And then with the Panthers losing their field goal kicker prior to the game with a hamstring injury. Uh, they did not score a point in this game for the first time in 21 years. And it led their owner to discard the ingredients of his beverage into the face or region of a Jacksonville Jaguars fan towards the end of this game and storm off. And um, when a team owner, or let's say anyone, in that way, uh, it kind of shows 
from top to bottom, just struggle city that the Panthers are in at this moment. You can't you can't be a billionaire and throw drinks. I mean, that is that is insane from your press box. What do you think he was drinking? Some some type of hard alcohol. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. So, some type of, you, you can't be like a an individual to allow what another person is saying. And sure, fans can get irate. We've all been to sporting events where they say awful things to players in the field. I'm sure other owners have heard this at the time. Um, but you are one, a human being who cannot respond in that way, especially in Florida, which actually I believe tossing your beverage on someone is equal to throwing a punch at them. Um, but also when you're in an owner's box and a box, a suite where you could simply close the window, walk away, do something else and not respond in this fashion. Because to me, it makes you wonder if he does this in a public setting, if he reacts like this in a public setting, how does he treat people or others who stand up to him behind closed doors? Unfortunately, Dan Snyder proved that you could be a billionaire and absolutely nothing will happen to you. You have to serve no consequences in life. So I don't think anything will come of it. What I'm curious, Josh, is do you have any lead on who the hell actually wants to coach this team next year? I'm so glad you asked this question. You know, no doubt in my mind, they are, and David Tepper is going to try to pay Ben Johnson a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Arguably, this situation Probably not the best look publicly. He turned down a job already, and it was a better situation than this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think he turned down every job, not just this yeah, one. So sure. I, 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 I wouldn't connect those dots emphatically in that. Um, now, I think Ben Johnson could have better opportunities elsewhere. Let's put it that way. I want to go on record because I don't know if anyone has said this name in association with the Panthers. I think that the Carolina Panthers are going to hire Frank Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Let's say a dark horse name that emerges during this draft process. Damn. What are <laughs> the dots? Why Frank Smith? What is intriguing about him to Tepper? Well, the offense that he's currently a part of, how being, and obviously the Panthers have no speed to execute that offense no. at all. But I imagine I Adam like, Thielen going in motion. Every <laughs> hey, play. they have a mere Smith Marset. They're trying. <laughs> well, I mean, they finally got him involved. Yeah. After 14 weeks. Um, I, I do believe that that Tepper is going to look at modern offenses and try to pick off a piece of that, and they will that be in easy. a position. That, and they will be in a position to have to take someone and hire someone a year early. That that's kind of the conclusion that I've made. Again, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Ben Johnson does take this job. I just think he has better opportunities. A la the Chargers, uh, Harbaugh has been a name that I've mentioned, mm -hmm. but it kind of seems like, especially with hiring Don Yee, that that connection with Tom Brady and the Las Vegas Raiders makes a ton of sense as it sounds like Antonio Pierce is not destined for that job as Rappaport and I believe Palacero came out and mentioned this week. So yeah, I think this team is just going to have to be a year early in hiring that. And uh, man, it was after what we saw against the Green Bay Packers, every single element of this offense was so abysmal against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense that has been on a miserable spree over these last few mm -hmm. weeks. And They've invested a lot on that defensive line, Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, some other pieces, and how they were just looping and stunting. This Panthers offensive line simply like could not pick it up. Travis Etienne has been Tony Pollard for two months now, yep. practically mm -hmm. useless. And they, the Panthers basically got out of his way to give him uh, one of his best games of the entire year in the fantasy championships. They won't get credit for it. I will say, since everything is crumbling around them, 
Shout out to the Panthers secondary that has been doing their job uh, since they returned from their bye. They've been a great pass defense the past six, seven weeks. But again, because they are so poor at every other thing they do, no one's noticing. So the other part of that Frank Smith conversation is he is Ben Johnson's agent. He is Edgero Evero's agent as well. So it would not be totally shocking if Evero does not get head coaching looks out there, which he's you know gotten interviews of previously if Frank Smith keeps him as a defensive coordinator next season. But in this game, Daigle, J.C. Horn attempted to play and then sat out after um, warm-ups. They didn't have Trey Hill. C.J. Henderson was missing all of those pieces. So it was uh, it was a crap Dunked situation. On. Cam Robinson coming back for the Jaguars, by the way, a massive deal. And just mm-hmm. for their playoff implications, real quick, if they win at the Tennessee Titans next week, the division is theirs. If they lose, as you said, Hayden, the winner of the Colts and the Texans win the division. And then no matter what, who wins between the Colts and the Texans is in the playoffs next week, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Going to be huge. Uh, by the way, yeah, Travis Etienne, I would say that was one of the best runs of the entire season. That that long one broke tackles, the speed to get to the edge on top of that. So congrats to everyone who started them, despite my horrific ranking for Travis Etienne. And the, won- second, the secondary and pass rush are still huge concerns for the Jaguars since the AFC is really defined by the quarterbacks you're facing in the playoffs. Yeah, it sounded like Trevor Lawrence absolutely is going to play next week. Apparently he whispered in C.J. Beathard's ear that despite practicing this week, he wasn't going to play. So Beathard kind of knew it Mm. all the way dating back to last Monday or Tuesday that he was going to be in line for the start here. 49ers versus Commanders. Well, we talked about juggernauts on the AFC side of the ball. I know they've had a couple blips this season, but the San Francisco 49ers at 12 and four being the Washington commanders, 27 to 10 lock up the number one seed in the NFC. And they might need it after Mm -hmm. Christian McCaffrey, once again, pops up here with a little calf strain. Uh, So they're certainly glad that they don't have to really play in week 18. And that's the most important takeaway here. Since we knew how this game was going to go, the commanders were the only defense creating pressure on less than 30% of opponents' dropbacks since they traded Chase Young and Montez Sweat, and Brock Purdy leads the league in yards per attempt from a clean pocket, and that's exactly what happened. Purdy had no issues moving the ball, even when Christian McCaffrey went out. I think the biggest takeaway is because we've been in this situation before, McCaffrey was banged up, and he ultimately didn't miss any time. But it does seem like with the bye, with Week 8 team now here, the number one seed locked up, He's definitely not going to play this game. And if that's the case, it was Elijah Mitchell who handled all 12 touches. No Jordan Mason once Christian McCaffrey went out. And then when Sam Darnold got put in, only then did Jordan Mason get on the field. So just for anyone drafting Battle Roy out there, I think that's the lean we have for the 49ers running back situation. Yeah, this commander's team is a complete joke. They Fair are joke. now number two, which is good good news for them. They will have the left Not for Sam Howell. The, no, I mean, well, the, the previously crowned franchise quarterback is just yeah. in five weeks. Done. That mantle has been totally replaced. Done. Rightfully so. I mean, he yes. certainly lost every single aspect of that. Um, yeah. Interceptions in this one. He had no chance. But yeah, the, he, he showed enough, though, I think, to be Baker Mayfield, to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he can be a career backup who adds explosiveness for two or three games. But obviously, right. when you're elongating it for the whole season, it's not there. Heineke. Heineke, yeah, sure, he can do that. And good for him. He created a career. And I I think this is kind of an interesting situation to walk into. Obviously, I know nothing about the owner other than his awkward handshakes. Very rich and wealthy (laughs) man. Yeah. Um, But this team offensively has some pieces, you know? Terry McLaurin, I think 
And I'm going to fall right back into the Jahan Dotson hole next oh season. I mean, I really am. Um, they have some offensive line pieces as well. Obviously, defense, they got rid of everything other than the defensive Start tackles. Over. But I, I think that there are worse situations for, let's say, um, offensive output heading into a year uh, in 2024 after what we've seen from this 4-12 and 12 team that has been high variance and chaotic. And I think a lot of that was because of the quarterback. And there was a reason why they wanted to just go over to Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, opinion. Bill Belichick and Drake May will be a, a nice refresh for the commanders going into next year. Falcons versus Bears. Well, if we talked about the number two overall pick in the Washington Commanders, we need to talk about the number one overall pick. And that is now the seven and nine Chicago Bears, 37 to 17. And the man that uh, Hayden wants to replace and many people want to replace, but some don't, is Justin Fields. 20 of 32, 268, one touchdown in the snow, another 11 carries, 45 yards, and another score. I mean, the Bears in the elements were ready for this one. Yeah, I mean, Justin Fields played phenomenal here. Got DJ Moore back in our lives. Great play in the end zone. Of course, Justin Fields is a truly special talent out there. I mean, him racing to the pylon on that one was huge. The Bears have a hell of a decision. And either way, the trade compensation, if they do decide to go with one of the uh, incoming rookies, is certainly looking like at least a second-round pick, but I think maybe even a first-round pick as well i think like the teams like the raiders and the steelers now that they benched kenny pickett uh the falcons these type of teams there are plenty of teams out there that i think could use justin Fields. so he's certainly an nfl starter on the rise showed that on this one and even if the bears do decide to replace him the trade compensation coming back for him was huge and on top of that by trading away last year's pick they get dj moore certified number one it's basically impossible to find a player like dj moore in the open market daigle boots on the ground What's the feel in Chicago around Justin Fields? Bears fans are so loyal that I really do think now they are being persuaded to keep him. Um, but again, it, just the way you build an organization, you have to take the four-year contract and fifth-year add-on. It's just the way you have to build your NFL team to create salary cap for yourself. So the defense is in place. You could literally take this unit, carry it over, and play it all next year, and they will be a top-five unit, honestly. They've become such a special team with Montez Sweat in the mix. But yes, it really just comes down to then the quarterbacks and what you then do to add behind DJ Moore. Even in this game, by the way, just a micro perspective, uh, the Falcons played man defense on 90% of their snaps. And guess what? DJ Moore's top five in yards for route run against man defense. He has no issues here just dunking on them every single play. I, I think it's funny, though, because the rich rebar theory in offseason is that organizations are really lazy, and they it's crazy how often teams sign the players who performed well against yeah. them. It is perfectly fitting that Justin Fields had an amazing game against the Falcons because Arthur Smith and Arthur Blank both got to watch it and I bet the dots start getting connected very soon. Yeah, that, that's the Chip Kelly theory that whenever you go back and look at his drafts with the Eagles uh, from Pac-12 teams that played him at Oregon, it was always someone that put up like 200-plus yards. <laughs> hey, you could build an entire team if you just did that with everyone who stomped uh, USC in the last two years. <laughs> yeah, the Clay Helton effect. Certainly, you can get Tyler <laughs> Spears and the boys ready there. Um, by the way, when I was looking at Justin Fields' potential landing spots, uh, the current GM for the Raiders, if they do keep that regime, which is still very much in the up in the air, he was the assistant personnel director for the Bears when they did draft him. So there's connections everywhere. Um, but on top of that, the other part of the discussion, I think it's overlooked with the Justin Fields thing is 
what's the trade compensation for the first overall pick? Could this right. be a record-breaking four first-round picks? Could it be multiple first-round picks and multiple starting players? And I feel like at that point, you have, it sounds like they're going to have their Eberflus back because the defense is good. Do you potentially say maybe Justin Fields can take a fourth-year leap? And especially if you add another top 10 wide receiver and see what, what, we, what we can do here. I think both options are viable. I think it's just going to depend on what are the trade compensations for both the first round pick and for Justin Fields. Yeah. Getsy, in my opinion, has to go, though. And it's, it's yes. rare to see the OC go and the head coach stick around. But he's got to go because he's made far too many egregious errors in his weekly game planning this year to think he that you can build the next quarterback with him. To that note. The Bears currently hold the number one overall pick, the number 10 overall pick. And if they were to deal Justin Fields, let's say the Falcons currently have the number nine, the Las Vegas Raiders, the number 11, the Pittsburgh Steelers, number eight, so on and so forth. So, I mean, this is a team that you could easily see having three first round picks. And that is quite rare, but quite fun when that does happen in the NFL draft. Packers versus Vikings. We typically don't talk about Sunday night football, but... Hopefully some of us watched this game last night as the Green Bay Packers keep their playoff hopes alive, stomping the Minnesota Vikings 33 to 10. We all love to talk about certain sections of the season Uh, in the back half of the season. Jordan Love statistically EPA wise, however you want to put it, is playing like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, he signed a interesting extension last offseason that is not typical starting quarterback money, but did give him guarantees into 2024 to go along with some four years after that. I'll be interesting to see if he says Hayden, um, Hey, I bet on myself and look what happened. I gave you a very team friendly deal. So let's add an extension onto it this off season. Or if the Packers respond by saying, Hey, we gave you guaranteed money heading into 2024. We did not need to do that. Right. And so play through the 2024 contract and then we'll rehandle it in the next off season. I thought Jordan love bet against himself. Right. And if he had not bet against himself, he would be an extremely rich man. Either way, the Packers are not going to let him walk. His best plays are a tier place. Yep. And that is the upside. Obviously he's going to get more experience the players around him are going to get more experience. But when he's throwing the ball down the field, he has plenty of arm talent to make it happen. The accuracy has been up and down throughout this entire season. But when it's on, it is really on. He obviously can scramble around just enough on top of that as well. But Jaden Reed, man, he is a very real player. He's not a slot only player. All those narratives don't apply. He plays big. He plays down the field. He's very juicy. He can move back and forth. He's just a really good player in general, and he won um, actually our $3 million winner. Needed Jaden Reed in a big spot, and no bigger spot than $3 million. That's basically as big as Jaden Reed's contract uh, for the next couple of years. He looked best at the end of the year as well whenever he faced that month-long stretch of easy defenses. But if you step back, I think what also helped him at that time was that everyone was getting healthy, including Christian Watson, who had reached a 90% route rate in the game before Thanksgiving whenever he was then injured and we really haven't seen Watson since Mm -hmm. if the Packers slip into the seven seed and you know, you land an indoor matchup against the Cowboys, for instance, it's going to be so important to have all these guys back Dontavian Wicks included, because again, that's when love looked his best, even in this game against the Vikings who have been 
an amazing defense the second half of the season since they've started understanding how to cover while also sending the house for Brian Flores. Love goes 9 of 11 for 92 yards and two touchdowns under pressure in this contest. So you need everyone healthy, but you're, it's certainly scary if they get there. No sacks on top of it. So that was that was a huge Easy. development for an inexperienced quarterback. A lot of inexperienced quarterbacks would absolutely crap the pants in, and, against Flores, and he didn't. Hayden, we've, we've talked about it. I can't remember with what other team we've discussed this, but when you face a defense or a team the first time, then you learn from it, and you're able to handle it better the second time. Obviously, they faced the Minnesota Vikings all the way back on October 29th. In that game, Jordan Love was 24 of 41 for 229 yards, one touchdown, one interception, took four sacks, you know? And here, yep. that one was at home. This one's on the road. And you play near – I'm not going to say flawless football because I actually think, Hayden, what you said is the correct way of describing Jordan Love where his top-tier throws are top-tier throws, if you yes. know what I mean. And if he is able to eliminate some of the inaccuracies or some of the bad decisions – then you could get a really stable top 10, top eight quarterback in the league. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, that he has to do that. You know, we talk about some of these other quarterbacks and the traits and the concerns that they have that, hey, they're not going to be successful long-term unless they get rid of this stuff. Because I think you can still win with Jordan Love doing this because you can live in the high variance, explosive play yeah. style. But if he does turn into now, really after his first full season as a starter, despite being in the league for so long, then you have a chance to be super special along with these ascending mm -hmm. first, second year talents to go along with someone like Bo Melton, who pops up yes. here for nine targets, six receptions, 105 yards and a score, who was drafted in the seventh round by the Seattle Seahawks. And now in these last two games has been like a major part, despite all the other wide receiver injuries this team has had. He he's having like the Geno Smith season from last year where just throwing the ball down the field and you get hot with it and it's rocking and rolling, which is ironic because the Seahawks and Packers are basically fighting for that last spot. And because Jordan Love has played better than Geno Smith, now the Packers are in the driver's seat. Real quick on the Vikings side of it, um, I love the Kirk Cousins uh, getting the game started with, with the, the chance and all that shirtless Kirk Cousins out there. They have a huge decision to make with Kirk Cousins because the backup quarterbacks, you can see what this team looks like without them. And it's not football. Obviously, they tried to go Jaron Hall, had to bench him for – for Mullins, Justin Jefferson, he gets the 10 targets out. We're looking for an incredible player, but he doesn't do much in the actual box score. The Vikings don't have a ton of options here. It's Kirk Cousins, who obviously the fans and everybody has mixed feelings about. But when you see how valuable Kirk Cousins is, and he is coming off the torn Achilles, it's going to be kind of interesting to watch what the market is for someone like Kirk Cousins. Uh, Rappaport said that there is mutual interest in a return. We shall see with that one, but it would be nice if we can actually have Justin Jefferson with a regular drop back quarterback where he doesn't have to make diving plays, jumping plays like he had to do the previous week. I had heard some things. We talked about this during the last draft season that the Vikings were looking at that rookie crop of quarterbacks. In the end, it was just impossible for them to get into the top four selections. Currently, they sit with the number 12 overall selection. So I do think that they could be in a place where they could maneuver if they do like one of those second tier quarterbacks. Um, there, there are definitely teams that would love to have Kirk Cousins next year. Yeah. Okay. Um, where should we go next? Should we go all the way back to like last Thursday in Jets Browns? Why not? Jets versus Browns. I mean, 
this week's scheme with Colt McCoy is going to be focusing on Joe Flacco and what he has done in some ways to help this Brown seem to, I mean, an unfathomable 11 and five on the season. I meant to just say something about Matt LaFleur and shout out to him, how in some ways he helped Aaron Rodgers get back to a two time MVP status. And you can really see, and now Jordan love and what he is doing in blossoming so quickly, you can kind of see a coach at work over a full season it didn't start off great for Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson this year, but with a quarterback that sometimes were, draws outside the lines, but frequently in the rhythm, in the structure, and on the script works between the lines, um, it is all just coming up great for the Cleveland Browns and a glorious Joe Flacco stretch of the season. Flacco's accuracy, and he i mean—he had that one play on the run over uh, the linebacker, making some actual plays out in space too, which is – wild to say about the 38 year old the scheme is beautiful it's been like that for a long time coaching around it and completely battered offensive line but to me it's david and joku i mean we have to talk about like Njoku as like maybe a borderline like top three tight end overall could block has a size the yards after the catch ability especially he's been a red zone weapon for multiple years as well david and joku when they absolutely needed him stepped up in a huge way the jets are worse defending tight ends versus the perimeter and without Amari Cooper in this one, David Njoku stepped up. But it wasn't just this week for David Njoku. He's been an absolute monster for multiple stretches over the last two years. And I think that he's hitting the prime of his career. And I think worse organizations would let uh, David Njoku go find that second contract on a different team. They he asked for a trade. Him. He asked right. for a trade before he got mm-hmm. that second contract. And this wasn't very long ago. Mm-hmm. And now he, in some ways, is the identity, the heartbeat yep. of this team throughout the entire season. Yeah, so it's credit just for the Browns to say, we know that the traits this guy has, we have to keep him around because most teams, like what happened with Evan Ingram, he now he's got 100 passes a year, and the previous regime lets him walk. So uh, good on them to keep uh, David Njoku, and good on them for finding a quarterback upgrade in Joe Flacco over to Sean Watson. It was easy to point out the soft pass rushes that Flacco had played to this point. So this was truly a litmus test for the Browns passing game. But for Flacco to walk in against a secondary that had only allowed Josh Allen to go over 20 fantasy points against them, and Allen did it with his legs, not even through the air. And for Flacco to then come in and score 22.7, have the fifth most yards per attempt, 10.7 for his entire career, and move the ball with such ease in a game that he helped propel to reach the total over 34 points within one and a half quarters. It's a offense that you and it's a team i should say that you do not want to face as the fifth seed if you're the fourth seed in the afc Diggle, would you say they're serious semi-serious or unserious like to actually make a super bowl like run afc title run the way everything is headed i think they are very serious because who else can we say is serious in the afc besides Mm -hmm. the ravens we may like some teams but we can also poke holes in all the other teams quite easily I, I think we can somewhat poke holes in some of these victories over the stretch because I think mm-hmm. it is different when you hit playoff football and you do have that two or three plays per game that Joe Flacco and turn the ball over. Yeah. Yeah. And because those turnovers can be significant. Now, are every single one of those turnover worthy plays going to be turnovers at the same time? No. The ball can bounce in your correct direction. You can get lucky. But like over this four game stretch, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, which we talked about, where it's on a four game skid, the Chicago Bears, which has some pieces, but let's be real. Houston Texans with Case Keenum and now this Jets defense. The Jets defense is actually the one that stands out because, you know, they had shut down the Houston Texans and mm-hmm. CJ Stroud and all that stuff just a few weeks earlier. And in this game, not having Amari Cooper. I mean, yeah. 
significant because Amari's been a top 10 wide receiver. Losing Elijah Moore as well. Mm -hmm. Insane. And I talked to Colt about this, and we'll talk more about it in the scheme episode. But, Hayden, you made a remark, and I'm totally with you, that Deshaun just does not execute this offense in the same way. Yeah. I I bring up timing and rhythm with Stefanski, and it really is. It's about leverage. It's about hitting the back foot and all that stuff. And we know that Deshaun wants to hold on to the football and – play in a bit of a chaotic world mm-hmm. at times extended world and we see that when that doesn't happen things are open down the field the screen game works great the downfield passing game works great and no doubt in my mind deshaun watson is a more talented passer but there are times we've seen across the league that if the two pieces do not align what do you do you know um and in some ways they have to keep joe flacco in my opinion next year just for the win loss column but then what does that equal um in the quarterback room <laughs> Well, he's a free agent. The Browns don't have a lot of money. So if they want to keep Flacco, it will be a huge priority to do so. And then what does that – I mean, do you guarantee that Watson's actually the quarterback? I don't know. It's, it's too early to tell. And I, I think that we can delay that conversation because yeah, totally. I'm with Daigle that this is at, at least a semi-serious playoff mm-hmm. team, if not uh, more serious. I think what, it depends on like mm-hmm. exactly the offensive line, the defensive line, and Mark Cooper's health going into this. And like you said, Josh, balls bounce in a certain way. But I do think this team has they're they're, still they're going. I enjoy this going. team now. I agree. There have yeah. been many Hell points yeah. this year. I did not enjoy watching this team. Hell this yeah. four game stretch, electric factory. Yes. Raiders versus Colts. Colts still alive. Just have to beat the Houston Texans next week. They improved to nine and seven on the season. Another team that had to change the way they played their offense. Um, Michael Pittman did return this game, just seven targets, five receptions, 46 yards. Just fitting that one of his worst performances of the year pops up in the fantasy football championships. But conversely, Jonathan Taylor gets 21 carries, 96 yards and a score. And again, they win 23 to 20 against the Las Vegas Raiders. I didn't watch much of this game, to be honest. That's fine. I just we're in the in the portion of the show where not much happens. Uh, Alec Pierce, uh, again, just one catch. But we did get a yards after catch opportunity for 58 yards. Hayden Trey Sermon, uh, 27 yard run. Along the sideline, I mean, that puts him into a good spot, I would say, in free agency this (laughs) offseason. And then, again, it was the Josh Jacobs out with the thigh injury. So it was Amir White, as we all expected, gets 25 touches (laughs) for 106 yards. I mean, it is rinse and repeat with Antonio Pierce. And, again, I think many of us believe that Antonio Pierce has earned this. But I, I do want to reiterate that insiders have said that that is not a lock, that it sounds like the team owner has always wanted a big name. Remember John Gruden, you know, and Josh McDaniels is a big name, right? And so he is just infatuated with that. And so um, if that is a priority rather than, let's say, the team and how they have performed, then uh, we'll see what decision they make, Mark Davis. On the Colts for this upcoming week against the Texans, we, we talked about the Houston identity on defense the second half of the season from week 10 on allowing just three yards per carry to opposing running backs. And so really, if it becomes a matchup between quarterbacks, you're obviously taking CJ Stroud over Gardner Minshew. So it's been a fun season, but I would have to give the lean obviously to Houston right now. Yeah. I would say I think they're a better team in general. Yeah. Also fascinating to see what happens with Devonte Adams this off season too, because mm-hmm. his name was mentioned at the trade deadline. I think it came out that the jets were hoping to trade for him. And right. there's obviously been some insinuations that, uh, those two teams might reconnect this offseason, but plenty of teams are going to be, despite his age, be wanting to go out and get Devontae Adams because not many people are uh, on the market. Let's put it that way. 
on that though, a trade on the Raider side does not make too much sense to me. They would only save $2 million against the cap. They would eat $23 million in dead money. And I think that if the owner wants a big name, a head coach, I would assume yeah. he also wants a big name at wide receiver and Devontae Adams, 21 targets in this one. That would have been nice if we had that for larger uh, stretches of the I, season. I do agree with you, Hayden. Same thing for DeAndre Hopkins, but after seeing Matthew Stafford, Carson Wentz, Mar- Matt Ryan, and Todd Gurley traded, I'm still just of the belief that literally anyone can go at any time. Yeah, for sure. I think it's unlikely. Rams versus Giants. And we keep it rolling with Matthew Stafford. Ooh-wee. 27 to 41, 319, one touchdown, one interception. Actually, excuse me, I was reading Tyra Taylor stats. <laughs> Good job. Right? Good pun. You're coming Instead. to 2024 hot. Matthew Stafford, 24, 34, 317, one touchdown, two interceptions, sacked four times. I mean, we can start with Puka Nakua. We can start with Kyron Williams. I mean, these two players have really been the values, the gems, whatever SEO term for YouTube search you want to use. Um, They have, in many ways, been the players that you needed this season. So frustrating for me personally. I was on the Rams this entire year, but I drafted so much Van Jefferson. Yes, Puka Nakua. What what can what can go wrong? And with that? You know my thing with Kyron Williams too. That mm-hmm. heading into last year, we had read Jordan Rodriguez and how much they yeah. loved him, and it was evident um, until he gets hurt on the yeah. golf of last season. And because they don't even play their starters or whoever in the preseason, we never yeah, knew no. how this team was going to unfold. So I'm sure I took a few round 18 darts of Kyron Williams, but again. That was the player that yeah. 300 million or excuse me, 300, $3 million winner took in round 18 because, I mean, he seriously, other than Chris McCaffrey, the only other running back that truly mattered this season. I mentioned on Twitter how important Kyron and Puka, like you, to fantasy teams have been given their either in the late season of redraft leagues, last round statuses. At that time, they were known enough for people to take darts on them in mm-hmm. the final rounds. And best ball, we were always stacking them in the last couple of rounds, too. And there were some people firing back about how important Trey McBride has been, C.S. Stroud has been. But honestly, even those guys are kind of offensive to Puka and Kyron. Yes. Because all these guys have done is literally win your league for the entire season. Like Kyron, yes, went on injured reserve, but... Around that injury, he still had nine top 12 finishes, six top five finishes, and three overall RB1 performances. And then Puka has been here, now setting records, and I imagine he's going to play this upcoming game because they still have a couple to reach, including him being four catches shy of breaking the NFL single-season record for rookies set by Jalen Waddell at 104 a couple years ago, and then needs only 29 receiving yards to pass Bill Groban for the most by a rookie in Rams history. And this one, too, it's the same thing we saw all season. He had this big 80-yard catch where he just bodies his cornerback, throws him to the side, and just keeps on running forward, and that helped set up the second of Kyron Williams' three touchdowns. Also, a, a very quick note here, as we talk about some teams losing players heading to the offseason, one, this Rams offense now with... Kyron, Puka, and Cooper Cup on the field together is averaging 6.6 yards per play. Yep. It's not only that, though. It's still Marcus Robinson being used. Same thing as Odell Beckham between Cooper Cup and Robert Woods in the Rams Super Bowl year. Because Robinson, even a team-high 29% target share in this game, is leading the team in end zone targets yep. since week eight over the second half of the season. And the fact that you're now adding these guys to these other all-star players 
And a couple of weeks ago, we saw the Rams take the Ravens of all teams into overtime mm-hmm. and lose on a punt return touchdown. It makes you think the Rams are one of the friskiest teams in the NFC if the cards play themselves right for their matchups. I completely agree with that. And then for all the way to 2024, it's going to be scary to click Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua in the first round, but I think you should. These are no-namers for the most part coming into the season, but the way they win, to me, one of the things, obviously physicality, but to me it's just trust and just yep. a perfect scheme fit with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. This entire offense is back. Kyron Williams He's just perfect for Sean McVay's offense, a new type of rushing offense. And then Puka Nakua in this like Robert Woods role. But Robert Woods just did not have the Mm -hmm. same exact size and physicality and speed as Puka Nakua does. So I think that we should trust trust these guys for NFL playoffs best ball and do not be surprised to be drafting these guys in round one next year, even though they weren't first and second round uh, draft picks in the actual NFL draft. These guys are very real, especially in this offense. Yeah, I think Sean McVay attaches himself to certain players too and the way he speaks about kyron williams yeah. yeah the way that matthew stafford trusts kyron williams and pass protection like you're not going to find that you can't replace that no with anyone and then with how puka nakua wins in certain ways that perfectly matches how matthew stafford plays ball um i mean this team has won six of the last seven and as you said it was the punt return touchdown is their only other loss um they're locked into the playoffs right yes. they have locked it in yeah. so this is also a sean mcveigh who hates playing players in the preseason so to your point Will they push Pukunuku out there? I mean, they have to, right? They have to. But this game against Rams and the 49ers next year, next week, uh, neither of these teams are really playing for anything. So maybe, you know, Puka can get five early targets and get out of there, and both these teams act like it's a preseason affair. He will not be mentioned on any of their show. So just let me give a hat tip to 2022 fourth-rounder Dane Belton, who is the only reason outside of Tyron Taylor the Giants hung around because Stafford previously – was going on 170 straight throws without an interception. And Dane Belton in this one, two interceptions and a fumble recovery. Ooh, love that. Okay, two more games to go. Steelers versus Seahawks. Steelers versus Seahawks. And the Steelers win this one 30 to 23. I mean, what has happened to the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, After man. the deadline and the move for Leonard Williams, they have totally collapsed. It's felt like uh, eight and eight on the season now. And the Steelers actually improved to nine and seven. Mason Rudolph has been named the starter next week. When asked about Kenny Pickett and his health and his starting status, Mike Tomlin has already said that's a conversation for the offseason. But Najee Harris, Jalen Warren combined here for 40 carries, nearly 200 yards, and three touchdowns as the Steelers get back to old school football to go along with, you know, 131 yards from George Pickens. And, uh, Put a 30-burger in Week 17. Who would have thought? I think for the Seahawks, it's just all the investments they made on defense just did not pay off. They basically just kissed Jamal Adams goodbye, kind of hiding behind injury there. The trade, like you said, at the deadline didn't really make a difference here. Uh, Devin Witherspoon's a good player, certainly, but not one piece is going to carry you. They've lost some other pieces up front, Bobby Wagner's not the same player up the middle of the well, field. A huge step back his second yeah. year, like even being in a rotation at points this year. So all those all those bets did not pay off, and then Geno Smith regressed in a couple different spots throughout the year. So yeah, Steelers are going to have a winning record again. They have a chance 
for the playoffs as well. It's not a surprise to me that they're sticking with Mason Rudolph because they're getting George Pickens going down the field, a little bit yards after the catch ability for George Pickens. On top of that, making some more ridiculous plays. Uh, he's a very real player, and yeah, the Kenny Pickett experience uh, seems like it's basically over at this point. Uh, 32.5% target share for Pickens now from Mason Rudolph. Steelers, as you mentioned, Hayden, now a 29% chance to make the postseason. So if you're thinking about those last-round darts that are not being taken too highly for playoff best ball, Pickens certainly stands out just in case the Steelers sneak in. Okay, just for playoff stuff, Steelers are 9-7. and seven. They need to win next weekend, right? And that is on the road at Baltimore, and Baltimore has truly nothing to yep. play for. So and injuries to heal. And injuries to heal. As for the Seattle Seahawks, Hayden, they have to win next weekend. And do they have to get some help? On they top have to of get it? help as well. Yes. Um, that is on the road at the Arizona Cardinals. And we just saw how the Cardinals uh, still want to win mm-hmm. at the end of the season. And they only beat the Cardinals back in week six, 20 to 10. So it's uh, it's to just get some exact details. Seahawks need to beat the Cardinals and the Bears have to beat the Packers. It's Packers and Seahawks going for at the same uh, for the same spot right now. Chargers versus Broncos last game. And I didn't get a single eyeball on this one as the Denver Broncos beat the Los Angeles Chargers 16 to nine. We talked about the Russell Wilson experience a lot heading into this game. Daigle, any thoughts on that before we get it moving? Just like Kirk Cousins, there's going to be a lot of quarterback shuffling this offseason. Some will take Russell Wilson for better or worse. Yep. Well, the contract detail that, that came out was there's offsetting language for Russell Wilson. So he's due a lot of money from the Broncos. He can take basically a veteran minimum contract because the Broncos are on the hook for that money and the offsetting language. There's no point Got it. for Russell. So he can just help the team and take a team-friendly deal. So that's why I think uh, a team like the the – the Falcons could make some sense, play action, throw the ball downfield. So I'm with Daigle. He's still an NFL starting player, um, but I also agreed with them. You can't risk the injury. Like $40 million are at stake, and that would completely set this con- this team back beyond what it already is. Sean Payton is another coach who loves his dudes. Um, we've seen that, you know, bring in certain tight ends and keeping Taysom Hill with New Orleans. My Radar is totally up that Jalen McLaughlin is one of his dudes. Yes. And oh, he gets yeah. 11 touches here for just 62 yards. But I do wonder, and we don't have to have this conversation now, but I do wonder where that puts him in drafts next year because of these, let's call them secondary backs, right? It's your A-chans, obviously Jameer Gibbs above that. Below that, it's like the Keaton Mitchells who's going to miss, you know, a portion of next season. And then Jalen McLaughlin is in there too. I'm just talking young guys here. Yep. It can be difficult to know exactly when to draft those types, but he's going to be used. He's going to get explosive plays because he's an explosive player. And again, just the continued usage here, despite being obviously his draft status from Notre Dame College or wherever it was, um, he's a Sean Payton dude certified. I completely agree with that. Javante Williams, I do think is going to get steamed up just coming off of uh, probably another healthy offseason instead of rehabbing this one will will make some difference. But the Broncos have no money to spend. They're kind of in the middle of the draft order as well. So they're officially in quarterback purgatory. I do think that Stidham is one of Sean Payton's guys, though. Yeah. And I think that he will be in the mix. He is a cut candidate, but he is on the books for the Broncos next season. So it could be like Bo Nix in round two with Jared Stidham and kind of take like a Buccaneers 
type of approach here with it. Um, yeah, I think it's too early to tell who exactly who it is going to be. I thought Stidham was fine, but this is a Chargers defense that really had nothing to play for. The play of the game for me, though, was little Jordan Humphrey. I'm not sure if you saw this yards after the catch play from little Jordan Humphrey. My my goodness. Another Sean Payton guy brought him from the Saints. Very true. Very true. No Greg Dulcich, no Cortland Sutton. You would hope that Jerry Judy could do oh. anything, but it's just the consistent, typical three for 54, get out of there. Yeah, Jerry Judy's under contract for the Broncos next season. It's a fifth-year option. They can trade him away and wipe away all that money. The question becomes, who wants Jerry Judy for $15 million? Yeah. Right. Uh, Quentin Johnson closes out his rookie fantasy season with a uh, six targets, three catch, 29-yard performance. Uh, meanwhile, Alex Erickson goes out there and gets eight targets, seven receptions, and 98 yards. Without Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer, and Quentin Horton. Johnson still fails to get there miserably. Yeah, it's Jalen Rager. Okay. We'll end it there. Under an hour and 30 minutes, less than 90 minutes. John Daigle, you have been the man. Today, the other 16 weeks, um, I'll be honest with you guys. We have not made for certain if we are doing a show or not doing a show next week. I know. Literally, we haven't talked about it. No, we haven't <laughs> talked about it. Yeah. We are going to talk about it right now on the podcast. Um, but – if this is the last one, thank you all for tuning in. Um, Daigle, thank you so much for joining us all season long. You are an invaluable voice to us on this episode. One, because we can't cover every single game. But two, you bring a very different perspective than Hayden and I who talk to each other six other shows each week. Yeah. So it's it's very, very much um, appreciated. And I just want the people out there uh, to go and support you in this off season and beyond because your work is definitely deserving of that in my life endeavors in 2024. Yes. yes. We'll see what happens. Again, I'm open to literally anything. I'm just on the couch now. So we'll talk behind the scenes. But, you know, given what we have done together and plus all of our draft info we usually share with the show, mm -hmm. uh, this show also has two of the nation's most accurate mock drafts out of three of us and one of one, us is going to join slightly soon. above yeah, well, yeah, yeah 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 i hear yeah, you yeah one, one was a little higher i get that but still in a down year there was one of us that came out on top so i would like to take pride in that so yeah oh, maybe yeah. we'll overlap a little more for that i don't know everything's sure. on the table we'll talk about it we definitely will all right to all of I you i love you both yeah love you too jet thank you everyone for tuning in up the villa we will talk to y'all soon see ya